morning, I'm going to continue in what I will probably classify as a pastoral message as the last two weeks have been. And what I really felt for this period of time was that we were supposed to go through some of the core values of what we believe. Now, we go through a whole lot in Growth Track, and I encourage you to be at Growth Track, and everyone needs to go through it once. Hey, if you can't make it on a Saturday night, we're going to figure out another time during the week that maybe we'll do a Wednesday night or a Thursday night or something that we can just like maybe hit two of them in a week, and then, you know, we won't do that regularly, but we'll just hit that so we can get everybody in there. But Growth Track really digs down into really the really deep, deep stuff of it, and so that's not necessarily my purpose to replace Growth Track in here, but... I felt like there's some core things of what we believe that we all should be on the same page with. But I purposely didn't put this one out on Facebook, didn't do a a picture or a meme or anything because I wanted everyone to show up this morning. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the topic of sin. And everybody's like, oh, I wish I'd have slept in. I could pull the covers over my head. But I'm going to bring it to you probably in a different way setting than what you've ever thought of or ever seen. So if you'll turn in your Bibles with me, or you can look up here on the screen, the first one I want to show you is the last part of John chapter 8, verse 11. Jesus is talking, and he says, go and sin no more. So here's a challenge he's issuing that we'll look deeper at in a moment. But he's saying, go and sin no more. There is sin that we all have in our lives, as we'll see in a few moments. But our goal is not just to stay in our sin, but to move on, to sin no more. Another translation of this says, go now and leave your life of sin. I'm going to throw the media guys into a little thing here. I'm going to see how fast they can pull up Romans chapter 6, verse 1. NLT should be fine. This is is another facet of that that I'm just throwing here, obviously, on the fly. It says, what should we say then? Should we keep sinning so that God can show more and more of his wonderful grace? Jesse, if you can flip over to the NASB on that same one. I love what it says. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin just so that grace may abound? It continues on. It says, God forbid. May it never be. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? See, Jesus is saying, go and sin no more. Go and leave your life of sin. So we know that this is an object of affection for God, that he's looking at it. But he's looking at it perhaps in a different way than what you would see. Now, the basic definition of sin is Knowing what you're supposed to do and not doing it. Or knowing what you're not supposed to do and doing that. Okay? So that's what our basic definition of sin is. But the Bible literally says it means to miss the mark. So the image is we've got a dartboard over here and you got the circular thing and the different bands of it all the way down to the bullseye right in the middle. And I'm sitting over here with darts and I'm trying to throw it at it. And when I don't hit the bullseye, when I don't hit the board, and it just falls short, that's the image. That's the definition the Bible gives us of sin. So it's knowing what I'm supposed to do, but I don't quite do it. Knowing I'm not supposed to do that, and 
I find myself doing that. I'm missing the mark, okay? Now, I want to ask you this. Pastor Chris has this saying and this rule that he has, and I think he's really right, and it's the 51% rule. And most people really think this way, that if I do just a little bit more good in my life than bad, I'm going to be okay. So they think if I do 51% or a little bit more than 51%, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to make it. So if you drew out a line and there's zero over here and there's 100 over here, where is it that you think that the point is that it doesn't work? Some people would say probably 51, maybe 60, maybe be generous and say 75%. It's not any of those. It's 100%. Because we either do right or we don't do right. See, we either are going to sin or we're not going to sin. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short. We've missed the mark. So we're all in this together. But God wants us to live a life as we saw in the opening, where we go and sin no more. We go and we leave our life of sin. Now, our life of sin may be small, may be huge. It doesn't matter. It's all in the 100% category. Jesus is praying to the Father in John 17, verse 15. And this is what he says. He's praying about us. He says, my prayer is is not that you, Father God, take them out of the world. He's saying, I'm not here. Jesus is saying to the Father God, I'm not asking that you take all the Christians out of the world. So as soon as they accept me, boom, they just, they just immediately go to heaven. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, that's what some people wish they had. But that you protect them from the evil one. So they're supposed to stay here. I'm supposed to stay in the world around people who sin, like I do. But Jesus' prayer is that God protects us. Even in the Lord's prayer, he says, one of the things are, deliver me from temptation. Deliver me from evil. That's his prayer to the Father, and that's his example of our prayer For our day, every day. Verse 16 says, For they, speaking of us, are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, but sanctify them by the truth. And your word is the truth. So let us be sanctified. Let us be washed. Let us be completely whole. Let us be pure again as we leave our life of sin, as we go and sin no more through the truth of God's word. Well, we can't talk about sin without looking at the original sin. And it actually is in the very beginning of your Bible. But can I tell you that the actual original sin isn't the taking of the apple? Because if I asked, and I did a poll, and asked most people, they would say the original sin is the actually grabbing the apple. But can I suggest to you that the actual original sin began in questioning God's word. See, we see in Genesis 3, 1, 
It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say? Did God really say? And I want to suggest to you, that's the same thing he's still saying today. Did God really tell you that? Did God really save you? Did God really cleanse you from your sins? Did he really give you a hope for a future? Did he really say you're going to be all right? Are you sure you're going to make it? I don't think you're going to make it. I don't think this is going to work out for you. For me, he might be, the things that he attacks me, did God really tell you to plant that church? Did God really tell you to do this? Did God really tell you to take that job? Did God really tell you to move your family from Florida to Texas? Did, did God really? He's always questioning God's word. Then he continues on, and we know what happens in the rest of that. Then doubt and unbelief came to your mind, and they ended up taking the apple, and that was the physical sin. But it all began with questioning God. Move forward just a couple of chapters. Cain and Abel, they're in their 70s or 80s. They've given many, many sacrifices to God. And Cain gives a sacrifice that he just thought, I'll just give this to God. This should be all right. And God didn't accept that. God was not pleased with his offering. So he got really mad. In Genesis 4, verse 6, God is speaking to Cain. And he goes, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? What, what's going on, Cain? And here he says in verse 7, You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you. But wait, this is in the very beginning of your Bible, in my Bible, and it's saying the same thing of what the definition of sin is. You're going to make it fine. You'll be accepted if you do what's right. If you do what you're supposed to do. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Why? Because sin is crouching at your door. Now we all have a door to our house and we got that front door and someone knocks and we go look through the peephole to see who's there. If you see sin crouching at your door, are you going to open that door? But he's saying, hey, if you don't do what's right, you're opening the door to sin. And it is eager to control you. The next verse says, but you must subdue it and be its master. See, because sin wants to subdue you and make you its master. But in the very beginning of the Bible, Jesus, God, the Trinity, the Holy One, is saying, watch out. Sin is going to try and take you over. But you must subdue it. Same words Jesus says 6,000 years later. Leave your life of sin. You must subdue it and be its master that you control it. Can I suggest to you that even three-year-olds know when they're doing wrong? I mean, think of the proverbial cookie jar. They reach in there, they grab the cookie, and they hide it behind the back. Did you get a cookie? No. Nope. But they know they did wrong. We all know when we're doing wrong. <coughs> Excuse me. 
And those of us who are older know the cookie jars of life. We know when we're doing something that's wrong. See, you don't need to go around pointing out to people their sin. People know when they're sinning. People know what's going on in their life that they know they shouldn't be doing or the things that they're doing that they shouldn't or the things they know they should be doing that they're not. But we're not alone in this. The Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Here he is. He's lived a life that's perfect. He rose to the point of being the equivalent of our Supreme Court being in one of the members of the Sanhedrin, and here God radically saves him, and he tells us in Romans 7, verse 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sin nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. That sounds like you, it sounds like me. There's things in my life that I want to do what's right, but I just can't seem to do it. The next verse says, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. He's like, the things I know I want to do, those things I don't do. Those things that I know I shouldn't do, those are the things that I do. Isn't that the definition of sin? To know what I'm supposed to do and I'm not? Or know what I'm supposed to stay away from, but that's the thing I do? The Apostle Paul is confessing to all of us 2,000 years later. We're still reading his confession going, hey, guys, I don't have it together. See, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short, have missed the mark. So even the one who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament is saying he still struggles with sin. But there's great news. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. Look at this, big letters. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. There's so much in this little paragraph, this one verse. It's the intentional plan of God. For God made Christ who never sinned. God sent his son to the earth to be the offering for our sin so that we, you, I, could be made right with God through Christ. That's just amazing. But can I ask you a question? Who is this Jesus? I had this thought a couple of weeks ago, and it is continuing I won't say to haunt me because that's like a negative thing, but it challenges me is probably a better way. Who is this Jesus? Because I have an image in my mind of who Jesus is, who he was when he's walking on the earth. And that's the value that we have of reading through a book of the Bible as a church every month. And if you notice, we're doing a lot in the book of John today. God just kind of seems to work that out whenever we're reading through a book. Those are the ones that we end up getting scriptures from. But who is this Jesus that goes and hangs out with sinners? All throughout the Bible, there's stories 
of the religious folks standing outside picketing. Got their little signs out there. I can just see them all walking around there. It says, Jesus hangs out with sinners. If he only knew. He shouldn't be doing this. They're all throwing suggestions and they're all throwing their own opinions about Jesus. They're upset that he's hanging out with sinners. Nowhere does it come back and say they were wrong. They weren't sinners. They were sinners. One of my love it says notorious sinners. Like they're like really big sinners. Jesus is hanging out with them. But what is it about Jesus that made the sinners, the notorious sinners, want him to be at their house? What is it about Jesus that made them invite him and be excited when Jesus is showing up? Can I suggest to you this image I have of Jesus in my mind? It's different than the Jesus I actually read in the Bible. See, because I have this image of Jesus that when he walks in, you're like, everybody hide the good stuff, okay? No, Jesus, look over here while we clean up. Don't, Mary, Martha, come on, come on, get this stuff out of here. Come on, quick, quick, quick. Jesus walking in. Hey, he's coming down the road. Hide everything, okay? Like the cops are outside knocking on the door. Hide everything. That's the image I have of Jesus. But I don't see that. I see that he was comfortable with them. They were comfortable with him. But he didn't sin. He's not in there participating in their sin. But he has this ability to transcend (laughs) all of the stuff that's going on that is sin for them. See, I've come to realize this picture of Jesus knowing that he was going to make it right with God. He was going to be their offering for sin. So as he's sitting there with them, his love is so exuding over them that when he sees their sin, he's like, oh man, I've got that covered. No matter how big that sin is, no matter how much they're becoming notorious sinners, he's like, I got that. Man, if you only knew what I'm about to do for you, the offering I'm pouring out to you, that he's not moved by their sin. He's like, even that, I'm preparing an offering. I'm becoming that offering because I want you to be made right with God. So where's my challenge for me? How should I be when I'm in places things might be a little uncomfortable? When I'm around someone that I might judge them and say that they're sinning, or I'm in a place of sin, or I'm around people that I'm uncomfortable, whether it's lots of people or just one, What's my response? Should I be shaking my finger? Well, you shouldn't be doing this. And you should be doing that. And, well, I think you should be doing. Well, I, 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 who am I? Can I step into that love that Jesus is? To go, oh, wow. Even that. 
he's able to take care of. Even that, he covers it all. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. You'll probably hear it several times a year because it literally is my favorite. It was actually our first service, the scripture I used. It was in John chapter 8. Here Jesus is coming back from a ministry trip. And he comes in and he goes to the temple to teach, to constantly give of himself. It says in John 8, 1, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple and a crowd soon gathered and he sat down and he taught them. So his just a normal day for Jesus. He was over here. He's over back over here. Now he's at the church. He's just sitting there teaching them. And this huge crowd gathers around. They're just listening to the words coming out of Jesus' mouth. And they're just getting all the wisdom that he has. And as he was speaking, it says in verse 3, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. So picture this. Jesus is in church. There's this huge crowd around him, and the Pharisees, the ones who are the teachers of the law, the ones who are supposed to be the the high-ups, you know, they're going to wear the big hats, you know, and all this stuff. They grab this woman caught in adultery, and they bring her, and they throw her down at the feet of Jesus. Now, if you've heard me tell this story before, I believe she was naked, or she was fairly close to being naked because they just grabbed her in the act and they brought her to Jesus and they threw her down. They're trying to make this big scene, as we'll see. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. One translation says, in the very act. Now, question for you. What were they doing there in her presence while she's doing the very act? How did they catch her in the very act? I believe they set her up. But what were they doing there? That's, hmm, that's a whole other thing right there, okay? She was caught in the very act of adultery. Verse 5, the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? See, they're trying to put Jesus in a box. They're trying to pin him down to say, okay, you want to hang out with all these sinners? You want to do all these things over here? And you want to talk about how you can forgive sins? The law, okay, the law from Moses that we have from all of time that he brought down off the mountain. He has this this whole thing. It says, this woman in front of you, we're supposed to stone her. grabbing big rocks and hurling at her physical body so she has so much blunt force trauma over and over and over until she bleeds out or they crush her brain. It's a horrible, horrible method of execution. But that's what the law does say. But Jesus, what do you say? Verse 6, they were trying to trap trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Starts doodling in the the dust. Now we don't know what he wrote. 
But whatever he's writing isn't really moving them at this point. Because the next verse says, they kept demanding an answer. They're not going to let it just go. They're not just going to let this thing just pass by. They keep going, Jesus, what do you say? Come on, what's your answer, man? What what are you going to do? They're trying to push him into the corner. So he stood up again and said, all right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Again, we don't know what he wrote in the dust. I personally think he's writing their sins in the dust. And a lot of people believe that with me. He could have been writing their mistress's names down. He could have been going, Sarah, looking at him, Mary, looking at over here. And because it says then, one by one, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left. So I believe he's doing something. What he's writing in the ground is convicting them that they're not in a place to be throwing any stones. Now, they were there fully ready. Probably some of them had stones in their hands ready, like, okay, I'm going to be the first one, man. We're going we're to really shut this Jesus down. And whatever he wrote on the ground, they all left. Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And I picture in her mind, here she is doing this act. These guys snatch her up, drag her down to the church. I mean, that can't be very much fun, all right? You're bringing her like this to church and throw her down in front of Jesus, who she's undoubtedly heard about. Here she is at his feet, and they're all saying they're going to stone her. She's seen people stoned to death before. It's like, (sighs) that stress, that anxiety, that, ah, I am about to die. I believe that she probably got into the fetal position, and she's just crouched down like this. And I believe she had tunnel vision. I believe she had so much adrenaline. She's not seeing things. Everything's just a blur. And she's down there and she's hearing them saying, Jesus, what are you going to do? Jesus, what are you going to do? She doesn't hear him riding in the ground. And she doesn't see or hear everybody leave. But then Jesus comes over here. And she's like this. And Jesus touches her and says, where's your accusers? I believe she probably went, ah! Thinking that was going to be the first thing that happened to her. Imagine emotion and she's facing certain death and this wonderful man says where are your accusers she gets up she knew they were she looks around the next verse says they're not here and Jesus says Neither do I condemn you. And here's where we started. Go and sin no more. Go and leave your life of sin. This wonderful man, Jesus, faced with having to kill this woman, which was the law, which was what she rightly deserved. stepped in 
He said, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. That's the perfect time for him to shake his finger at her. Everybody's gone. Say, what were you thinking? You shouldn't be doing this. Don't do this again. Don't let me catch you doing that yet. That's what we would do. That's not what Jesus did. So go and leave your life of sin behind you. Do you bow your heads with me? See, Jesus dealt with her privately. He didn't publicly talk about her sin same way he confronts our sin in a personal, non-humiliating way. He didn't belittle her. He didn't even put her down. He showed her a way out. He brought her up. See, Jesus knows what you were doing last night. And he's still saying here with open arms, you're welcome here. But let me work in your life a little bit so you can leave your life of sin behind. What is your life of sin? We all have sin. The Bible says specifically we all have sinned and fallen short. Not one of us is exempt. Not one of us can say, I've got it all together. You're not talking about me. Even the Apostle Paul says, hey, the things I really want to do, I can't even do those things. The things I know I shouldn't be doing, yeah, those are the things that I do. But I believe that God's constantly there saying, I have a plan. I have a way out. Jesus came and paid the price. So wherever you are, in the sound of my voice, whether you're in this room, whether you're listening to the podcast, whether you're watching live online, what do you say today? What is your answer? For God. When he says to you, leave your life of sin. What's your answer? Father, I pray for everyone this morning. Lord, even the the thumping and the feel your heart just like beating out of your chest now. Lord, as we're about to give an opportunity to jump into your kingdom, to leave behind the life of sin, to start that path of knowing you. Lord, I pray that everyone will want to be counted in they'll want to jump in. If that's you this morning, they will say, I want to be counted in. Count me into this. The same way that Jesus dealt privately with that woman. 
this is between you and him. It doesn't matter if this is your first time or your millionth time. When I first got saved, I have the date and the time. I know everything about that. But for like three years after that, every Sunday morning, me and Rex Humbard, we had this thing going on. He would preach a message and I would accept Jesus again every Sunday. God knows exactly where you're at. Say this in your heart. Say, Jesus, I need you. I want you. Today I surrender my life to you. Thank you for paying for my sins so I can be right with God. Be the Lord of my life. I believe that you died, you were buried, and you rose again. Today I put my faith in you. And I declare you as my Lord, as my God, (laughs) as my friend. Today I give you my life. I surrender everything. And the best way I know how, I'm going to serve you with all of my life. If you prayed that prayer, all of heaven is rejoicing. All the times that you missed the mark, Lord, in conclusion, I pray for myself and everyone else as well, that we will see out of your eyes, that we won't look at the sin and think about how terrible the sin is, but we'll think about how good your mercy and your grace is, that it covers even that. The Lord, as I believe you got excited, Jesus, when you saw all the people and all their sin around them, you weren't disgusted by them, but you were encouraged by like, I got that covered. That I have that same attitude towards people. And I can be around them to be in a way to lead them to where you want them to be. Lord, I commit this day to you. I commit this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.